Hey, are you sick of being cooped up inside for the past year? How about getting out and also doing something to support Israel and the Jewish people? Join us for our first ever Bless Israel Virtual 5K. We've put together a three-mile path that actually walks you through a route in Israel. You can walk or run the week of April 12th at your own pace and in your own timing. Just sign up by March 21st and join an international community of believers who are all committed like you to Israel. For more details, go to ajewandagentiledisgust.org. Throughout history, we see kind of this repetition and what's what's the theme? The Jewish people are a threat to me or I'm envious of what they have. Therefore, I need to control them, either enslavement, work camps, taking away rights. And then when they keep growing and when I'm threatened by them, even as a subservient group in humanity, then we take the next step, which is they need to just be eliminated. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both the Jewish and Christian lens. Today, we're going to talk about the exciting topic of anti-Semitism. And if you hear that and you're like, oh, I'm totally not interested in this, don't turn off the podcast. Hopefully, we'll be able to give you some historical information um, and current information that will be able to educate you on anti-Semitism in a way that you've never heard before, along with something that you can take away to do. So let's discuss. So Ezra, first, let's start with how would you define anti-Semitism? Yeah, so I'll start with Merriam-Webster, kind of like a neutral, right? Hopefully, most of us can agree on that the dictionary is generally correct. And then we'll go a little bit deeper and look at how the Anti-Defamation League defines anti-Semitism and and some other um, Jewish groups that are either U.S.-based or international. But first of all, the dictionary. So Merriam-Webster says that anti-Semitism is hostility toward or discrimination against Jews as a religious, ethnic, or racial group. And kind of let me unpack that a little bit. Judaism is very unique, Carly, or the Jewish people, we can say, because it's ethnic in the sense that it's specific cultures, specific people groups, and it's racial in the sense that generally, unless somebody's converted to rabbinic Judaism through a kind of a formal rabbi-recognized conversion process, their DNA markers are going to be traceable to other Jewish DNA. So there's kind of a racial or a DNA-based element there. But also beyond that, and if you ask Orthodox rabbis, even maybe more important than the DNA and the people group or the culture is the religious component, that Judaism is a faith. Um, Now, as an aside, and we talk about this on other podcasts, you should definitely check this content out. Rabbinic Judaism generally has concluded for the last almost two millennia that to believe in Jesus is incongruent with being uh, a, a follower or a member of the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion. Now, we understand from first century Judaism that hundreds, thousands, probably tens of thousands or more of Jewish people had 
received Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew, as the Jewish Messiah. But as the church grew and became more and more detached from its Jewish roots, there became more and more of kind of a grand canyon between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. And eventually the rabbis concluded Christians have nothing to do with us. Followers of Jesus, Jewish or Gentile, have nothing to do with us as a Jewish people. And if you believe in Jesus, you've in essence stepped outside of the Jewish faith or religion. But this idea, and I'm glad Merriam-Webster says it the way it does, is if you're talking about the Jews as a religious group, or the Jews as kind of a cultural ethnic group, or the Jews as literally a DNA line of people who are descendants of other Jewish people, and you're you're ascribing uh, fundamentally negative traits or sinister, malevolent traits to these people, and then thinking and acting out of that out of those assumptions and prejudices, that's anti-Semitism. So the definition there is important, and then. Uh, I want to share another kind of working definition of anti-Semitism that, that's acknowledged, and maybe everybody has kind of a different version, but this is acknowledged by a lot of Jewish groups that kind of work on advocacy and identifying and, and countering or working against anti-Semitic expressions around the world. And here's this working definition. Anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews which may be expressed as hatred toward Jews as a whole. And this is rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed toward Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property, also toward Jewish community institutions and religious facilities. And that Jewish or non-Jewish, Carly, is important here too. Because when we see anti-Semitism fully expressed, it's not just toward the Jews, it's toward this kind of larger concentric circle of anybody who sympathizes with or stands with the Jewish people. That's been important throughout history. That was important during the years leading up to and during World War II and the Holocaust that we're going to talk more about in a minute. And for our Christian audience, I believe as I look at the scriptures, that's going to be important in days to come. Not just the Jewish people, but anyone who would stand with or sympathize with. Uh, is kind of the full expression of anti-Semitism. So uh, more on that in a couple minutes. But those are two definitions that I think can be helpful. Another one that I heard is an irrational negativity towards or prejudiced against the Jewish people. Uh, and the idea irrational is because you don't have to have facts to back up anti-Semitism. You just believe that the Jewish people are generally a problem and deserve any of the negative treatment they're going to get. And some of our audience is going, well, that's ridiculous, right? We're all, we're exploring racial justice and inter-ethnic equality, right? And the, the fundamental rights of human beings. It's a, it's a big topic. It was a big topic in the 2020 elections. It's a big topic now in the States. It's a big topic in Europe, all around the world. So how could this be, this irrational hatred? If you hate somebody, you have to have a reason. No, the idea with anti-Semitism is that it doesn't have to be based on fact. It's just the perpetuation of negative sentiment and action based on, on that sentiment. So when I think of anti-Semitism, and probably a lot of our listeners, the first thing I think of is the Holocaust. Of course, that's to me, that's like the biggest example of it. And actually, I think a couple weeks after this podcast releases, um, I think in April is Holocaust Remembrance Day is a, a, a Jewish holiday, right? It has a specific um, relation that, that people observe in some way. It is. It's, it's not a biblical Jewish holiday like Passover or Feast of Tabernacles in the sense that, of course, the Holocaust ca happened way after the Bible was completed and canonized. But 
uh, it is acknowledged in around the world, um, especially in Israel, since there's still, you know, like 160 to 170,000 Israeli citizens who actually have been identified by the government as uh, survivors of the Holocaust, meaning Jewish people who were alive in areas that were Nazi occupied during World War II and either were in the concentration camps and, and survived or were somehow spared from going to the concentration camps before the Nazi regime was ultimately ended at the end of World War II. So big, big, uh, maybe holidays, not the right word, right? Observance more appropriately, the solemn observance in Israel right before Israeli Independence Day every year. But yeah, it's acknowledged by the, the worldwide Jewish community. So if you think back to the beginning of anti-Semitism, like when did it start? Does it go all the way back to biblical times? What's the history? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Holocaust is is a prime example, and we're going to talk about that in a, in a moment in more detail, especially how anti-Semitism has affected the Holocaust historical narrative in recent years, uh, which is a real problem. But uh, we can look back, you know, I'm thinking of in, in Genesis, right? Remember Balak and Balaam, or we say Balak and Balaam in our good, you know, with my Rochester, New York accent. Uh, but in Hebrew, Balak and Balaam, right? And Balak, in essence, hires this prophet Balaam and says, I'll pay you if you prophesy against the Israelites encamping in, in the wilderness. And Balak, you know, actually gets spoken to by a donkey warning him that the, the path he's chosen to kind of work for this ruler and curse the Jewish people is not good. But that's an example really early on in scripture of this idea that these people, the Israelites, Israelis, uh, Jewish people are a threat, and I'm going to purpose uh, either directly or indirectly working on my own or through other agents that these people should not exist. They should be cursed, and actually, ultimately, it would be better if they just didn't exist anymore. And we see the story where the Lord kind of breaks in, and, and Balaam, Balaam, the prophet, in essence, says, how can I curse the people God has blessed? Right. And, you know, that famous passage, it's still recited in synagogues today. Uh, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. And that was actually the language of a man who had been hired by an anti-Semitic leader to try to curse and wipe out the Jewish people, to create, in essence, to seek a higher power for a divine reason to curse the Jews. And, you know, again, our audience is going, well, that's ridiculous. Well, what did Hitler do? Hitler, in essence, aligned a lot of German Christianity, right? This this subscribing to a higher power to create a, a God-fearing reason to curse the Jewish people and ultimately to say it would be better if they don't exist. So yes, the Holocaust, but it's not unique to the Holocaust, and the Holocaust certainly wasn't the first example. You know, uh, Carly, we're, we're recording this podcast during kind of the weeks leading up to Purim on the Jewish calendar, and that's from the book of Esther. And there you see, again, this leader in Persia, Haman, or Haman in Hebrew, right? It has this irrational hatred and envy toward the Jewish people and convinces the king it would be better if they don't exist. Let's write a decree to wipe them out. And again, even though the name of God isn't mentioned in the book of Esther, we see the hand of God all over it breaking into this intended destruction, this certain destruction of the Jewish people and turning the whole thing around. And um, you know, I'm thinking of the Caesars, the Roman emperors, right? When they find out that there's a Messiah to be born uh, in Israel, 
Herod issues this decree to kill every Jewish male born between X year and this other year. And that's why Jesus has to spend the first years of his life in Egypt, because there's this decree, wipe out the Jewish males. And what was it about? It was this idea that the Jewish people, if a Messiah is really going to be born, it's interesting, right? Herod believed the Jewish prophets, even though many of the Jewish people who rejected the claims of Jesus didn't. Herod believed them and said, it's enough of a threat to me that a Messiah is going to come and challenge my power that I need to wipe out all Jewish males, right? Pharaoh did the same thing. Let's just start killing the Jewish males. And we know the story of Moses is the story of being saved in a basket from the uh, decreed destruction of a big part of the Jewish community. So Carly, throughout history, we see kind of this repetition and what's, what's the theme, right? If we had to kind of boil it down into steps, the Jewish people are a threat to me, or I'm envious of what they have. Therefore, I need to control them, either enslavement, work camps, taking away rights, like in the Spanish Inquisition, Jewish people because of their identity, uh, their rights as Spanish citizens, citizens of the Spanish empire are, are minimized and revoked. So that I've, I've in essence limited the threat because these people are now a subservient, almost subhuman class in society. And then when they keep growing and when I'm threatened by them, even as a subservient group in humanity, then we take the next step, which is they need to just be eliminated. And you, you know, our audience maybe has heard the term the Jewish problem. What does that mean? The idea is everything negative happening in society is ultimately tied to the Jewish people, and it would be better if they don't exist. And that was, that was Hitler's intention in the Holocaust. You know, those who are more familiar with kind of the details of history, it's possible that Hitler had Jewish roots which is a crazy thought. But somehow in his own German Christianity and his own kind of ego, he became convinced that the Jewish people were enough of a threat that it would be better if they don't exist, if they didn't exist. And he convinced a people by saying it loud enough and long enough through rhetoric, through propaganda, through removal of rights, through creating a work camp, subservient class, and then ultimately creating a means for their destruction, that if we could just eliminate the Jews, everything would be better. And you see that playing out throughout history in our own lifetimes, or at least in the last century or two, the Holocaust being the prime example, but certainly not the only example. So that's sort of the historical context, Carly. So many people might be thinking, okay, Ezra, yeah, the Holocaust is the biggest example, but does anti-Semitism really exist today to that type of level? Yeah, and I, it, it does. Actually, speaking of the Holocaust, you know, I'm thinking of Ahmadinejad, uh, kind of the more Middle Eastern pronunciation, right? Ahmadinejad, who lost his power in Iran a few years ago, widely denied the Holocaust. And the current leaders of Iran, uh, you know, and look, let's say God loves the Persian people. He loves the Arab people. He loves Muslims and he wants them to have a transformative encounter with him. So this isn't like anti-Iranian sentiment uh, coming out of my mouth here. But that being said, the Iranian regime is is a prime example of modern day anti-Semitism, right? That irrational hatred or or disparagement of Jewish people. Why do I say irrational? Because I've been maybe some of you listening have been to Auschwitz. You've been to Treblinka. We see the photos. You see Jewish people in their 90s living in Israel today with numbers tattooed in their arm, right? These are the facts. And yet government regimes, these are educated, powerful people leading millions of their own people and influencing millions of others have the audacity to say the Holocaust never happened. It was a giant Jewish 
kind of plot because here's some more anti-Semitism because the Jews control the media for their own purposes to garner support and money and pity for the Jewish people to establish a Zionist or a Jewish state. And if you, again, right, we go, oh my word, right? What kind of, my grandma would say, what kind of chutzpah, you know, what kind of uh, nerve does somebody have denying the murder of 6 million Jews and gypsies and other uh, disenfranchised groups during World War II in European society? And yet, if you say it loud enough and long enough, more and more people will believe you. And that's the scary part, is when fact becomes subservient to narrative. And that's part of the power, I think, Carly, of anti-Semitism as it exists today. You know, um, in 2019, the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, released some stats that anti-Semitism was at an all-time high since they had begun to measure it, at least in North America, when they began in 1979. So 1979, right? You have Arafat, you have the Persian Gulf Wars, you have Desert Storm, you have all this crazy stuff, the growth of Islam happening in the Middle East and, and other places in the world. And yet anti-Semitic activities in North America were at an all-time high in 2019. And, you know, unfortunately, I'll, I'll say, because I think it's kind of lumped in the wrong basket, if you will, those stats were used to say that the Trump administration had kind of fomented anti-Semitism. Is that true or is it not true? We don't know. What we do know is that out of 170 anti-Semitic events reported in 2019, 68 of them were perpetrated by white supremacists. So like a little more than one third, right? By white supremacists. And people say, well, the Trump administration kind of encouraged white supremacists. Is that true or not true? That's a story for another day. I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. But what about the other 102 incidents? The other 102 were not white supremacist incidents. They were anti-Israel incidents. So the existence, Carly, of the modern state of Israel and modern anti-Semitism are very closely linked. And we'll talk more about that in the second half of our program today. But I do want to mention, you know, we talked about the historical context. We talked about the the modern context. There's there's another context that shouldn't be lost for our audience, and it's the church's involvement in or knowing or unknowing participation in anti-Semitism. What on earth do you mean, Ezra? The church uh, followers of Jesus, right? predominantly Gentile, but also including Jewish believers in Jesus. Our commandment from Jesus is to love everyone. How could the church have participated in an irrational hatred of Jews? We have to rewind to when the number of Gentile or non-Jewish believers in the first couple centuries AD started to significantly outnumber the number of Jewish believers. And instead of the question for the apostles, right, in Acts 15 of what are we going to do with these non-Jewish people coming to faith, the question became, wait a minute, what are we going to do with these few Jewish believers who say that their Jewish identity matters when the rest of us are not from a Jewish background? And what do we really do? And so you have things like the Nicene Creed, uh, all well-meaning things to kind of crystallize what do Christians, what do followers of Jesus believe. But unfortunately, into those creeds and into those belief systems crept this idea called replacement theology, if you haven't heard that term before. And what does that mean? It's the idea that the Jews are responsible for killing Jesus exclusively and that because of their disobedience before Jesus and then finalized kind of the final, the last straw when the Jewish people sent Jesus to the cross, God has rejected the Jewish people and is actually theologically against them. 
God is for Christians and he's for Jews if they want to convert to Christianity. But as a people, God is against the Jewish people. And that may sound crazy to some of you. Go take a, go take a seminary class and listen carefully and see if that concept is sort of, sort of, sort of in there. Because if it is, it creates an environment where extremist leaders can latch onto Christianity and say, let's annihilate the Jews in the name of the spread of our faith in Jesus. I know it sounds kind of off the wall, but it's a step-by-step-by-step thing. So we just need to be very aware, and we talk a lot on the program, Carly, part of Christians being informed about what God's doing in his, with Israel and the Jewish people is being aware that, unfortunately, some of the foundations of the things that we believe within the, the faith of being followers of Jesus have incorporated this idea that the Jews solely are responsible for killing Jesus, right? And, you know, I've heard that. Ah, oh, the Jews are Christ killers. That's an anti-Semitic comment. And I think the best response to that is, you know, when people say, who killed Jesus? And unfortunately, you know, the, the response has so often been, well, the Jews. Well, who really killed Jesus? Well, Adam killed Jesus and Eve killed Jesus because they sinned and separated themselves from God. Centuries before there was any such thing as a Jewish people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father and the mother of all mankind killed Jesus when we separated ourselves from God and we know there's no forgiveness of sins apart from a blood sacrifice, apart from the death and the blood of, of, a, of an atonement sacrifice. The scriptures are very clear about that. That's kind of the foundation of our faith as believers in Jesus to this day, and it always will be. So who killed Jesus? The Jews? No, let's, let's challenge that. Adam and Eve killed Jesus. And if we want to get real specific, Carly, you and I killed Jesus when we were born into Adam and when we made choices knowingly to do things that are against the expressed will and the commandments of God. So I said a lot there, but there's a historical anti-Semitism. There's a, there's a uh, modern day anti-Semitism. And unfortunately, there's anti-Semitism fomented within the Christian church because of some wrong things that have been believed and uh, cascaded century to century. So you kind of mentioned the anti-Semitism, you know, all over from past to present. Let's talk about Israel specifically. I know one of the things that when I first started working at Jewish Voice, I didn't know anything about this. But one of the things that was talked about was the BDS movement. So talk a little bit about what that is and for people who don't have never heard that before, what it means. Yeah, BDS, boycott divest and sanction. What does that mean? It's an organized movement. It's, it's very political. I would, I would say it's at least partially anti-Semitic, or let me say it gives a great way for people who subscribe to anti-Semitism to put their, put their money where their mouth is, or I should say, take their money away from where their mouth is. And the idea is that Israel is fundamental, the modern state of Israel, to be clear, is fundamentally guilty of racism and apartheid, and therefore the way to kind of take the state down or force it to its knees is through money, through the marketplace, through economics. And so BDS is an international kind of slogan to say, don't buy Israeli products, don't support anything that's whose headquarters or whose business is based in Israel, don't do anything that's going to contribute to the Israeli economy unless and until Israel starts, quote unquote, treating the Palestinians right, end quote. 
meaning take down the security wall that separates some of the more hostile Palestinian areas from the main part of Israel with predominantly Jewish populations, meaning go for a two-state solution. Israel needs to support Palestine and give it full rights and acknowledge it as an independent state, which incidentally would make the borders of Israel at its most narrow place no wider than the width of the island of Manhattan if Palestine was a completely independent state, let alone the fact that Hamas has just been voted into power again within the Palestinian people uh, as kind of the leading group controlling the politics. So not only a separate independent state, but a state whose leaders have openly said that they're committed to the destruction of the Jewish state, of of the modern state of Israel. Anyway, that's a story for another podcast. But this idea with BDS is don't give Israel a dime or a shekel, as we can say, keep your money away from Israel. Uh, And many people go out of their way, Carly, even in the States. You may be surprised to hear people uh, committed to this kind of ideology or this, this tool actively will check the backs of dried fruit and what tech company their internet is provided through. And if they find out it's Israeli, they'll, they'll uh, discontinue any business dealings with that entity. And uh, so, so that's one expression of kind of an anti-Israel stance. So would you say that being anti-Israel is being anti-Semitic? Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you a Jewish answer. Yes and no. Uh, first, first, the no. I think, you know, it's important for all of us, Jewish believers, Gentiles, Christians, whatever, whatever you want to uh, call yourself to be informed. And I think I'll say as the as the husband of an Israeli wife and as somebody who's been to Israel 40 something times and loves the state of Israel, Israel is not above reproach. Israel, the government, some of the policies I, I absolutely stand against and think need to be challenged just the way I feel that a lot of US policies and laws are a problem for me philosophically, ideologically, religiously, and I need to put my voice forward in, in standing against those things. So I, I would encourage our audience, you know, there's things in Israel that aren't right. And if you feel that way, stand up for it. Open your mouth and speak to that. But standing up for what you don't believe is right within a state and rejecting the right of that state to exist are two different things. W- what do I mean by that? We need to make a separation. And this is, this is where anti-Semitism, a hatred of Jewish people, religiously, ethnically, racially, and standing against policies in Israel aren't the same thing, are not synonymous. But an expression of that irrational hatred of Jewish people is to say that therefore the Jewish state, or some people say the Zionist state, uh, the homeland of the Jewish people, promised historically and reclaimed in modern days, uh, doesn't have any right to exist because if we're really being honest, the Jewish people don't have any right to exist either, other than as a dispersed, accursed people, maybe, and maybe not even that. So in terms of challenging the Israeli government and policies, no, Carly, anti-Semitism is not standing up and saying, I, look, I have a real problem with some of what Israel's doing. And even being anti-state of Israel isn't anti-Semitic. But I will say that anti-Semitism often goes hand in hand with anti-Israel rhetoric because if you don't believe the Jewish people have the right to exist, why would you believe they have the right to their own land or to a state? Especially if you believe that that state has displaced other peoples who were there in the years or centuries before the reestablishment of the modern state. So uh, very closely linked, but not synonymous. And I would say to our audience, you know, if, if you say, look, I have a real problem with this Israeli policy or this Israeli law, and somebody says, oh, you're anti-Semitic, don't take that. 
stand up and say, no, I'm challenging a policy, not a state and not a people's right to exist. So let's not lump those things in. And to our audience also, don't lump others in if they're challenging something about the state and say, oh, you're anti-Semitic. Let's be careful with our terminology. So before we move on to um, more of our content on this, I just want to talk about one way you in our audience can support Israel and the Jewish people is supporting this podcast. This podcast is supported by donations. So if you like what you hear, you can go to our website, a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org and give one time or monthly. Uh, we've talked about on the podcast before that we actually have this Lost Tribes coffee that we get directly from Ethiopia, which is one of the places that we serve Jewish people. You can get that by becoming a monthly donor with us and get that as often as you'd like. So all the details on the website uh, and be sure to stay tuned to the end of the podcast and we'll talk about how you can win some of that coffee for free. So back to the discussion. Uh, One question I have, Ezra, is why is this such a serious problem? There's so many um, different isms in the world these days, especially racism is something that's talked about a lot in the mainstream news, especially in the last year or so. Why is anti-Semitism such a serious problem? Yeah, you know, I, I think the endurance of it, Carly, and I'm going to ask you in a minute, you know, if you've seen any anti-Semitism, you've heard somebody say something, you've seen an incident in recent times, I think we all could. And, you know, uh, sometimes it's hard for us to take that step and say, okay, this was anti-Semitic because we don't want to label something. But I think all of us have seen incidents, if not on the news, in our own experience, and the endurance of it throughout history from literally Bible times, actually from, you know, and if, if I can wax spiritual for a moment, you know, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Well, what do you mean, Ezra? That's a bit of a stretch. Is it, right? God's saying this serpent who in essence deceived Eve and then Adam into sinning, right, is to be accursed. It's to crawl on the ground. But then, and, and Eve is going to have difficulty, pain during childbirth. They're going to be kicked out of the garden. They're separated from God, except from blood sacrifice. Uh, when, but then there's this glimmer of hope in Genesis three, and it says this serpent Eve is going to bru- is going to bruise your heel, but you'll crush its head. And out of you and out of your seed, in essence, the promise for the woman, the promise specifically for Eve is that out of her seed, literally like a DNA, like a reproductive system seed is going to come the redemption of the world, which will spell the death sentence for Satan, ultimately his destruction and eternal punishment for what he's caused in the fall of mankind. Uh, and we still are waiting to see that day come today. I think the day is getting closer and closer. But this idea there that through the seed of Eve, and we understand uh, nine chapters later, Abraham and his seed, Isaac, and Isaac's seed, Jacob. It says Jacob, not Esau, Isaac, not Ishmael. This idea of a promise through the Jewish people to bring about the one who would ultimately crush the head of Satan. And we understand that that's the Messiah, the one who crushed the last enemy death under his foot when he rose from the dead after dying for our sins and to take the punishment, the righteous punishment that we have because of our fall and being deceived by that serpent. So Throughout history, from Genesis 3 on, the serpent, representing Satan, actually embodying Satan at that moment, knows that through the Jewish people is going to come his ultimate destruction, and that the return of the Jewish Messiah to earth to rule and reign will be the final blow when he's uh, about to be thrown into a pit to be tormented forevermore. And so 
if we as believers don't know that anti-Semitism, this idea of the Jewish people uh, are accursed and ultimately have to be destroyed, uh, if we don't see the spiritual realities fueling that, Satan certainly does. And in spiritual places and in Bible terms, it's certainly a spiritual reality. So I just want to ask our audience as believers to kind of be open to the possibility that it's not just the depravity of mankind coming up with this, that it's actually a spiritually, or if you will, a demonically inspired thought process and ideology that's repeated throughout history. So the endurance of it, the spiritual underpinnings of it, and the modern day uh, outworkings of it. You know, we've heard about synagogues. Uh, we all know the story, right, of Pittsburgh and of Poway, New Jersey, synagogues being shot up. Why? Because they did something wrong? No, because they exist. And somebody subscribing to anti-Semitic ideology decided that they should just not exist anymore, that their very existence and worship as Jewish people was a problem and needed to be snuffed out. Uh, again, that irrational hatred. So the modern day expressions of it, uh, spiritual underpinnings. And also, Carly, I'm thinking, I wanted to mention this earlier, but you know, we in, in partnership with Jewish Voice and some other great ministries out there that are reaching Jewish people and their neighbors have the privilege of interfacing with some of these scattered Jewish groups or what's known also as the lost tribes in places like Ethiopia. Uh, you shared about our, our multi-decade and, and, and counting commitment to Ethiopia. But the idea of people being killed for their Judaism isn't just historical with the Holocaust. And it isn't just this random thing like what we saw with the synagogues in Poway in Pittsburgh a couple of years ago. We actually have met, you know, I'm thinking of one lady, we walked into her village in Northern Ethiopia, Carly, and she kind of pulls down her dress to show her shoulder. And she's completely scarred, completely burnt and maimed all down, I guess it was her right side, the right side of her body. And we said, what happened through a translator? And she said, I was locked in my hut one day and the hut was set on fire. By whom? By local Orthodox Christians. And, and of course, you know, my American response is somebody should have done something. And so I said through the translator, what did the police do? And she said, the police told us if we stopped giving everyone the evil eye and making them sick because we're Jewish, this wouldn't happen to us anymore. And I'm like pausing, you know, dead airtime is bad on a podcast, but just let that 2016 huts set on fire, huts of Jewish people set on fire by people who worship in buildings with a cross on the roof. And the answer from the authorities was, if you just stopped being a curse to those around you, you wouldn't have to have this kind of punishment. That's why anti-Semitism matters as a case in point. And maybe you've seen other, other examples, but this isn't just historical. This is today. People are really being killed because of anti-Semitic acts in the world, not just in the States, but in places where there isn't a police system or justice or legal uh, measures to help protect people from these kinds of incidents. So Carly, have you seen or experienced something where you were sort of caught off guard and you went, oh, that's anti-Semitic? I haven't seen it in a way that's specific to a person like, like that, but I think the way that I've seen it in the most impactful is what you talked about earlier, which is replacement theology in the church. Um, that I think is, I think people don't even know that what they're listening to is replacement theology. The, they, they don't even question it because usually you just believe what your church is telling you because they're teaching from the Bible and they're interpreting in that way. 
Um, so it wasn't until I worked at Jewish Voice that then I could recognize, oh, okay, that's not something that I agree with. So I think that's, you know, the mass of the church believe that, many do, and they have they have no idea really how impactful that is in a negative way. Yeah, super helpful. And that's important. You know, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are great, right? Paul says, I mean, it's very clear, has God rejected his people? By no means. And actually the Greek there is, no, no, may it never be. I mean, the language is strong. But I think, again, go to a seminary class, read some theology online, look up what it says about Israel, and ask yourself the question, is the scripture being used to create our truth and our understanding or are the scriptures being read based on a preconceived decision that God has rejected the Jewish people? It's an important distinction. Don't miss it. So Ezra, to our audience, who's many of them are Christians, they might be asking, why should I care about anti-Semitism? And if they do, what can they do about it? So how would you encourage them in that way? Yeah, you know, I think two, two things come to mind, Carly. First of all, right, we're very switched on. Uh, as the Israelis say, we're very focused right now on the issues of racial justice, of ethnic equality, right? Of making sure that they're, that we're identifying and dealing with systemic issues in society and politics and government and the economy that keep people, the groups down for whatever reason. I think that's, you know, one, it, the issue's been forced in the last year in 2020 and now onward into this year. And for good reason, because we need to deal with these things and we need to identify the systemic breakdowns that fundamentally separate or, or, or uh, oppress one group uh, for the betterment of another. And it's got to be looked at. It's high time to do that. So as Christians, as Jewish believers, we're all committed to kind of taking, I hope we're committed, right? Uh, whoever you voted for in the 2020 elections, I hope we can all agree that we're committed to identifying areas where people are being persecuted or not given the opportunity equally uh, to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as believers, recognizing what the forefather, what the what the fathers of the country and the the authors of our constitution understood very clearly, right? That all men are created equal. They said this truth is self-evident that all men are created equal and endued by their creator with certain unalienable rights. In essence, it doesn't need explanation. So anywhere where we're not expressing that as a nation or in the church or in our congregations, let's look at that. And so in that light, I would challenge our listeners, as you're looking at that, look also at the Jewish people and say, is there anything I think? It kind of starts internally, right? Like, what do I do about it? Well, it starts with me because before I act, I think. What do I think about Israel, the Jewish people, Jewish history, the Jewish people's stance in the eyes of the God I love and serve that maybe isn't based on biblical truth and fact, but it's been shaded by narrative, even humor, bad experiences, uh, prejudice, envy, feelings of insecurity and being threatened. So that's a good place to start in the interest of justice and equality. I'd ask our audience to think about anti-Semitism afresh right now. And, you know, I will say both both presidential candidates, Trump and Biden, said very clearly in writing in their campaign kind of list of campaign platforms and positions, they both are committed to standing up against anti-Semitism as a real problem amidst a number of other social ills and ideologies that need challenging. But uh, let's let's. 
pray for our president and hold him accountable to do that, stand up for anti-Semitism and also anti-Israel sentiment, unwarranted anti-Israel sentiment, wherever it exists. But I think, secondly, if you're not on board with with the pursuing justice and equality train, I want to appeal to you on this on this basis that to me, Carly, the scriptures are very clear, especially, you know, I've been reading the book of Revelation again, and maybe for some of us, it's hard to understand, but it's worth reading. Do it once a year. See what's in there, because I feel like those we know whenever those days are going to happen, they're a day closer today than they were yesterday. And what's very clear to me in the book of Revelation is that as things wind up or wind down before the return of Yeshua, of Jesus, there's increasing violence and efforts to destroy the Jewish people. Look in Revelation. If it's hard for you to understand, get Bible commentary. There's a very clear description of Satan the dragon purposing as his days for destruction draw near and for punishment, purposing to actually pursue and destroy Israel or the Jewish people wherever they are. And ultimately, when it looks like all hope is lost, we see in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus breaks in and turns the whole thing around and uh, executes justice and vengeance as a holy God who's, who deserves to do it. But I want to appeal to our audience, our Christian audience listening, that it's not going to get easier to stand with Jewish people or to stand against prejudice, destruction that's happening to Jewish people. So I'd say settle the matter in your heart now and deal with any misconceived, ill-conceived notions that sort of have created negative sentiment in you. If it's there, deal with it. Don't be ashamed of it. Just deal with it. We all, we're all people in process and we all have things that, that, you know, if we allow the spirit of God to kind of speak to us about that we need to get in alignment with, uh, he'll, he'll do that, uh, in a way that's restorative and not shaming. So if this is one for you, uh, it's a great season to deal with it. It's not going to get easier. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Ezra, especially starting with yourself. You know, it's easy for us to point around and say, oh, there's anti-Semitism. Let me go deal with that. But let me start with myself. So hopefully to our audience, you got something out of this, something you hadn't heard before or were educated in some way about anti-Semitism. Thanks so much again for listening this week. As I mentioned earlier, you can um win or have the chance to win some of our coffee and the way that you can enter to do that is to text jg j for jew g for gentile to 474747 and if you text that jg to 474747 you'll be entered to win this month's free coffee giveaway um, you can also enter on the website a jew and a gentile discuss.org if you want to hear more episodes of this podcast subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts we'd also love if you leave us a review or share this podcast with someone you know that you think may be interested you can also follow us on social media at the handle a jew and a gentile discuss and if there's anything you want to have us answer or any questions you have uh, you can email us at a jew and a gentile discuss.org there's a form there you can fill out thanks again so much for listening and join us next week for another episode This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.